Hello, beautiful people. This is Nube sharing space with you this morning on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. This is Prison Focus Radio um, every Thursday morning from 11 to noon. Again, thank you so much for sharing space. Um, These are uh, quite some... Uh, serious times that we are living in right now. I want to give a shout out to our uh, beautiful community members behind the walls and your family members. Uh, We understand that there is a direct link to um, the state violence that is happening out here and your mass um, caging in there. Please stay safe as possible. Um, While we are in the pandemic of COVID-19, we are also experiencing Um, It is being revealed, the pandemic of white supremacy racism. I'm still looking for another term for white supremacy. Um, They are not supreme. It is not supreme. It is destructive. And um, fortunately, we are experiencing that. So uh, with that said, I also want to say, let us act. Let's take a breath, act in shared humanity. This is what's on the line here, I believe is our humanity. Can we look to each other, uplift each other, and uh, take care? Because our youth is out here on the streets. Um, They're angry. They're feeling a range of emotions, Um, pain, hurt. We all are. We are with you. Uh, Let's do this together. Um, And again, let's just find and act in that radical love, revolutionary love, and the fight for our humanity. Okay, we are going to get started here. Uh, The first voice that you are going to be hearing is from Comrade Malik, uh, who will be uh, sharing with us his thoughts on what's happening out here. This is a recorded message from USP Pollock in Louisiana. Peace and blessings, sisters and brothers. Peace and blessings. This is Comrade Malik reporting in from behind enemy lines at the Federal Penitentiary at USP Pollock in Louisiana. I'm sure y'all have been observing the news. There is a war on black men in America, from Central Park Karen in New York to the mom who drowned her autistic son in Florida. Who do they label the perpetrator of those crimes? Who is the usual suspect? The black man did it. Like I said last year, It is not just bald-headed white males with swastikas tattooed on their bodies who embrace these ideologies of hate. There are millions of white women in America who embrace and practice these divisive and hateful white supremacist ideologies. Oh my God! There's an African man, an African-American man filming and stalking me. Someone call the police now! In 2020... We still ain't free. I ain't one of those house Negroes y'all done bought. It's me, Comrade Malik, a servant of the people. Police in Minneapolis killed George Floyd. We all see it on national TV. Yet we have to plead and beg for justice. You call that free? Oh, say can you see? I don't feel like I'm free. Locked down in a cell, shackled from ankles to feet. Another day in the pen. Guess I'll hang from a string. Oh, the oppressors would love it if I hung it up, but I ain't going to do that. Ahmaud Arbery, 
murdered by vigilantes in Brunswick, Georgia. And now our brother George Floyd, murdered by the police in Minneapolis, Minnesota. A close friend recently said... This call is from a federal prison. Yes, it's a federal prison. A close friend recently said that I shouldn't mix anger with my messages. They said that you give the oppressors power when you talk about them. I don't agree with that line of thinking. There is something horribly wrong happening right now in America. We don't see images of young white men being pinned to the ground by police with knees pressed on their necks. The young white man screaming, I can't breathe, help me. We don't see that on TV. Why do police in America feel as if it is okay to abuse, mistreat, and torture black citizens in America? This is a pervasive and systemic problem. Black men and black women have feelings of anger and hopelessness when we see these images. However, violence against the police is not going to solve our problem. It may feel good for a moment, but it will only make our situation worse. We need justice, and we must demand it. And we can't allow the victimizers to tell us what justice should look like. The Minneapolis Police Department fired the police who were involved in the murder of George Floyd. That ain't enough. These police should be tried for murder. They must be tried for their crime against humanity. We should never be allowed to allow law enforcement to do this to us again. However, even if they are tried and sent to prison, that will not solve our problem, which is white supremacy, racism, and police brutality against black men in America. As each day passes, I am drawn closer to anarchism. And it is our belief as anarchists that we the people must abolish police departments. To some, this abolition of the police may sound like a radical ideal. But please, for one minute, look at things from my perspective. Ingrained in my memory is over 12 years of abuse and torture at the hands of employees of the Texas Department of Criminal Injustice. Ingrained in my memory are the systematic and systemic murders and executions of literally hundreds of unarmed black men and people of color by law enforcement in America. Ingrained in my memory is the children in the state of Texas thrown into cages by ICE and Border Control agents. And ingrained in my memory is the bloody stain and legacy of slavery in America. I keep saying that we want free. And like Meat Mill, I ask, what's free? I can tell you now, free is not what we have right now. This is Comrade Malik reporting in from the Federal U.S. Penitentiary in Poland. Dare to struggle, dare to win, all power to the people. At the time of this recording, Comrade Malik had not heard of Breonna Taylor. And we know that there are plenty of sisters that are being cold-bloodedly murdered by police all across this country. We say her name, Brianna Taylor.
Okay, welcome back. I am now going to play an excerpt of a recording that I did in conversation with London Crowdy of All of Us Are None. Many of you are familiar with her when she was co-hosting here with me. Um, so here we go. Uh, she's going to be talking about their wonderful new uh, program show that they are doing, One Community, One Mic. Okay, so let's tell people about One Community, One Mic. Okay, so One Community, One Mic started off, uh, you know, after we went to Shelter in Place, and um, All of Us and None has over 20 different chapters scattered across the United States. And um, one moment, one day I was just checking on one of our chapter leaders, a friend, a sister of mine's in New York, and she was just, you know, it was, it was just horrible, like what she was going through as far as like, her grandmother, one day I called her, her grandmother had COVID. Uh, the next couple of days, a couple of days later, I called to check on her. Her grandmother had passed away. And just about that experience, you know, uh, her grandmother passed away at home because she didn't want to go to the hospital to, you know, die alone. And uh, because of all the people, folks passing away, uh, it took them almost three hours to come get um, her grandmother. So they had to go through that, you know, traumatic experience. And then, you know, uh, from her going to the morgue and the mortician breaking down because he was so overwhelmed with bodies, he told her, I'm sorry, you had to make a decision within three days to have a, bur a burial, which uh, no one could really be uh, present for or to have the body cremated. And so, and then to hear, of course, what was going on, you know, with the people she was fighting for. She was going through all of this and still answering all her calls from prison and just, you know, it was just wow. And so I was like, you know, talking to Dorsey, our executive director, I was like, you know, we have people who, you know, in different states, you know, people are going through, you know, very similar things and different things as well. And, you know, we need to be able to come together with resources. These are unknown times, you know. And so we wanted to do one community, one mic, where we can tap in with our different chapters and to see what other folks have going on uh, uh, around, you know, the United States, as well as tap in with guests who, you know, could add to the subject. And we believe that knowledge is power again. Uh, we come and we have these conversations weekly. And we are, uh, we come in there raw. We speak from the heart, you know. There's cursing, there's, uh, there's tears, you know, because people are speaking from the heart when they come on one community, one mic. And, you know, uh, what we do is we believe in, uh, multiple brains are better than one. So right now we understand that these things are developing and things are changing daily. So we also bring up, uh, different things that are happening. And we might not necessarily have a solution, but we share it with one another. We put it out there because then we believe again that if we put it out there, then we can start working on things together in unity. So uh, One Community, One Might takes place uh, every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific. That is, that is so beautiful. Wow. It's really important that... Um, we understand that there are family members that are attached to people that are formerly incarcerated. There are family members that are attached to people that are still inside, right? At some point, we're not going to, it's just people, 
right? People that are having this experience and boy, I can't wait to the day when there are no more prisons for people to have to experience that. Absolutely. Um, and really quick, is this important to sure, have, like, sure. I love you because what happens is when we come together with these conversations, there's things that naturally, like, you know, I knew that people were dying of uh, COVID, but I never thought of someone having to go through like the thought of someone actually having it and being scared to go to the hospital because they didn't want to die alone. So when we come together, we're able to have these, you know, these real fruitful conversations and hear things from different people's perspectives. And then we can, if once we know, we can then start tackling something, you know, and, and surrounding people and working together to come up, up with a solution. So like for another example, what I just, um, one of my, uh, sisters who's formerly incarcerated herself, she's working on a campaign, but especially for women. You know, one of the things that she is saying that the women are in prison are not only having a really hard time because, you know, uh, women don't often get a lot of support behind the walls, especially with the money, and they're the number one caregivers of these uh, of their kids, and they're trying to keep, you know, uh, ties with their kids. But what, uh, one of the things that she's like trying to figure out is to help is that now that they haven't, uh, their, uh, visits are not going on right now in the prisons and, uh, they were given free phone calls, but that ended. These kids out here are going through depression, not being yeah. able to talk to their moms. And these are just like little things like, oh man, I never thought of that. Right. You know? And that's why it's important for us as a community to have these talks. That is so real that people, family members, loved ones are going through on both sides of the wall and now it's just exacerbated by COVID. And so communication is even more important, right? And being able to come together on the outside because the folks on the inside are doing everything that they can also on the inside. You learn, okay, and so for you, do you are you... Um, like this is a very personal question, um, but you know there were kind of um, life skills, survival skills that you had to to develop while you were inside. Do you see um, some of those skills being utilized out here? Obviously, the communication is one thing, but right, yeah. So, well, yeah, for sure. So this mm-hmm. is one thing that. Um, uh, Asha Bendela uh, was on our um, panel yesterday, as, ro- yeah. as well as uh, uh, Rose Clemente and uh, Kat Brooks. Mm-hmm. And it was so beautiful because you're right. So when I was uh, at the beginning of this uh, shelter in place, you know, it kind of seemed like a breeze. You would see stuff on the social media and saying like, hey, like, while like, you all are all complaining, you know, people were formerly incarcerated, like, this is what we do. This is like a walk in the park for us, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you had so many people, you know, then it, it just started coming out, you know, people going through depression, suicidal rates going up, and, you know, every uh, you hear people say so loosely from their mouths, like, I feel like um, I'm locked up. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know they experience in prison, you know, mm-hmm. which is, it's an ignorant statement, right? Because you can yeah. never, you know, um, right now, yes, I'm in shelter in place. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, 
you have your good days and your bad days, but I'm able to go to kitchen. I use my own restroom. I can sit in the living room, you know, all those things, you know, which mm-hmm. are truly uh, blessings, right? There's a lot of people who don't have that. Also, shelter in place is a privilege because a lot of people can't shelter in place because they don't have no work to shelter at. And so, uh, yes, you know, I have, you know, um, I don't think it was tough for me as it was tough for other people that, you know, I was speaking to. But what uh, the panel yesterday brought to my attention, what I realized that we were speaking to as a people is that uh, I realized that um, survival mode is very natural for me and for a lot of people. So I like to always say that in prison, that we're all on survival mode, and you don't even recognize you're on survival mode because it's become your normal. It's become your that. So, you know, we tend to uh, uh, not even recognize when we're, you know, and our spirits are in distress because we're just in survival mode. We just keep on going. But, you know, speaking mm-hmm. on the panel yesterday, you know, just learning and just being able to say, you know, I, with these strong, amazing women and, you know, just really like plainly and honestly saying, you know, you know, today uh, is, a, is a good day. But yesterday was it was horrible. I cried my eyes out. I was so sad. But today is better. You know, oh, well, you know how it is. It's, you know, I have my good days and I have my bad days. Or the other sis, you know, uh, uh, Rose uh, Clemente, you know, sharing how, you know, the impact of mental health and, you know, and personally experiencing it and making sure checking in with her, uh, her husband and daughter every night to see, okay, where are you at spiritually, mentally, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your feelings. And so these are great conversations where I tell people, I say, hey, just imagine how we're feeling right now. Just imagine how you feel right now, right? Like people are bucking right now, going into the streets, not wearing masks and, you know, doing these things. But just imagine, I look at, you know, my comrades that I work with every day and think about like, man, they were in solitary confinement for eight years. Man, they were, you know, Mm-hmm. Like when I was in my little cell that was like a, uh, you know, no window or anything that looked, that was the size of my bathroom. And people were just so loosely, like, it's just like so callous with another person's life, you know, just putting them in that. And here they are for two months and everybody's wilding out, right? <laughs> and you just think about what we're doing to thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people behind these walls every day for years. And um, and it's being passed off as it's, it's okay. Exactly. I mean, talk about normalizing something. What can we do? How can we hear each other? How can we come together um, and understand that we are all experiencing distress and um, what we can do to, again, care for one another? Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, one of the things that, um, you know, I, I used to always say when I was doing a radio with you, New Bay, is that um, when we talk about it, it's like, I don't think that sometimes, sometimes I think that people want to get involved, but they feel like they just like, how do they get involved? Or mm-hmm. they feel like, well, I don't fit in. Like, they, they might care, but they feel like, well, because I wasn't formally incarcerated or, 
I don't know anybody that's incarcerated. Like, where do I fit into this? Like, I care, but I where where do I fit in? Like, we this movement needs everybody. This is movement is not really about like who's in there, who's who's been there. It's about right and wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what I tell people, and what I and this is based on the things that I'm learning myself, is that you know sometimes I had to tell tell myself, okay, London, pause. Mm-hmm. and self-care because what happens is you know you know I wake up and I got you know 15 emails and someone needs this someone's getting out of prison they have no place to stay do we have a hotel voucher oh no people are uh not just the rate has gone up more and more people are getting infected behind the walls oh my god not only it's only when someone just more people hundreds of people are infected more people are, are still dying. People are dying. You know, uh, we just lost someone else uh, right here in California um, at the men's prison a couple of days ago. You know, oh, my God, then you have George Floyd, you know, going, you know, oh, my God, they just killed another person, you know, over there, you know, uh, where was it, in San Leandro, somebody, you know, all these things going on, and you mm-hmm. just see all over the place, right? And then, mm-hmm. oh, my God, my friends that are still behind the walls, I need to write them, I need to check on them, I need to send and then what happens too is that all this time, like you're not even filling yourself up, you're getting depleted, and it's, you just want to do. It's just so much work to do, right? But then if you just take that moment to pause. And sometimes what I realize is that how we move powerful in this movement is sometimes just calling someone and saying, "Hey, I don't have anything to give, but I can write some letters, you know, to re- help respond to some of the prison letters." Um, hey, uh, I can't really help and everything like that, but I, I know a sis or a brother who's in prison and their kids are across the street. Let me just go over there and check on them, you know? Um, hey, let me, you know, send a few cards out to tell people, you know, to keep their heads up. Um, let me just call this organization. Maybe they need help and maybe they don't. You know, maybe I can, you know, go in there and help, uh, uh, sew up a few masks. You know what? I really, I work so much. I have a family. I'm a wife, a husband, or whatever. I really don't have time to give. But you know what? I have this sewing machine that I don't use. Maybe, you know, the organization can use this to help with their uh, their efforts into making masks. I think that, you know, sometimes we be so thinking about how can we solve the problem and versus <laughs> just pausing and just getting involved with the problem. And so that's how I tell people, like, that's how you just start. You just, you know, no one's asking you to solve it. Just help us to be, you know, be a part of the solution. Thank you so much. That is so beautiful. I was experiencing so much of that today myself because my, my loved one's going to be coming home in, like, the next three months. And oh, wow. just buckling down and, and, you know, there's just so much to think about. Thank yeah. you so, so much for that. We just have a few more minutes. I could talk to you all day, London, and, the, and we need to do this more often. And I really appreciate you. Please, um, again, can you let people know about um, One Community, One Mic, um, and then how people can uh, um, either get in touch with you if you'd like and um, and how they can uh, see about the Quest for Democracy um, uh, information. Awesome. Thank you for that, Nube. So, um as always, you can always go to uh, prisonerswithchildren.org 
and um, you can go through our website to you can donate, uh, which we very much appreciate. Um, see the different things that we have going on, and also you can click on the link that's on the website to become an All of Us or None member or to see if there's a chapter in your area. Or if there's not a chapter in your area, you can also get information on how to start your own chapter and become a part of the movement. And please, please visit, you know, we talked a lot about ACA 6. And for those who don't know what ACA 6 is, ACA 6 is a constitutional amendment that will allow those who are currently on parole the right to vote. We're saying, um, listen, these folks did their time. They pay society, uh, they, they have to pay taxes. They have to abide by the rules of any other society members, but they can't be a part of the decision making, decisions that directly impact them, you know, uh, and we're bringing awareness to that. And also like myself, uh, New Bay, where people don't know, just to show you how much our system does not make sense or the, uh, racism that's, uh, all linked that it's created on is that I can personally vote, you know, because I um, did federal time. So I, I, was, I came out on probation and so I can vote. But my comrades who've done the same time as me, less time than me, more time than me, but still pays taxes just like you and I, uh, they cannot vote. So please, we need support around that. So you can get the latest information and learn how to get involved by going to freethevote2020.org. And um, anyone can reach me at London at prisonerswithchildren.org. Um, that's my email address. Or you can go to our Instagram account, which is all of us or none. And I do that page as well, so you can link with me on there as well. And to see um, Quest for Democracy and past episodes of One Community, One Mic, you can go to our Facebook page, which is all of us or none. Fantastic. London, thank you so much uh, for you. sharing um, not only your your heart, but your wisdom. Um, and may we always come together in, in, in unity, in love, and perseverance. Thank you, Nube. All of us or none. <laughs> All of us or none. Absolutely. And liberate the caged voices. Yes, liberate the caged voices. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, girl, it is just yeah. wonderful to, to speak with you. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for having me. Of course, and we will do this again, maybe a little bit more often if we can. Absolutely. I'm down. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> you have yourself a rest of, uh, beautiful rest of your day. You do the same. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.
Okay, now we're going to hear from Tha. He is an elder in the community. He's got a lot of beautiful things to say about what is happening on our streets. So um, good morning, Tha. I am so grateful that um, you are willing to talk with me this morning. Um, you are one of the elders in this movement right now, and I, I just, I, I really would love for you to just, um, just share some wisdom on, you know, what you're what you are seeing at this moment in time, um, uh, through um, the, the importance of the historical lens of what's happening and uh, the protests with the young people that is taking place in the streets right now. I would love for you to speak on that. Um, I I need to begin by acknowledging that what history I bring to this began when I was not an elder. And being an elder does not uh, grant me anything special other than the fact that I've lived as long as I have. So quickly, I want to just talk about myself for a second, and I'm not even into talking about myself, but I think uh, it gives a more of a connection with what I'm saying. So I'm from the last generation of black people in this country who have actually touched people who were enslaved. So I got great, well, they all passed away now, but I had great, great uh, grandparents um, who had been enslaved and I literally touched them quite young, but I touched them. And some perspective, if you want to do the math, I'm over 70 years old at this point. So hmm. uh, if it, if it, if it hurts your yeah. mind to think about the fact that somebody can have actually touched someone who was a slave, just do the math. I was born in 1949, if that helps you. Uh, at any rate, yeah, that's that's powerful. I I think that we should take a moment and think about the math, but really how history is right up on us right now. <laughs> wow. Well, as a young person of eighteen years, and in my case before that, because I'm from the south and I I I, I marched around in the south, I sang. I sang the songs and did all of the stuff you see on PBS um, as a, a, a child. Um, and when I say child, I was younger than 18. Right. Um, well, ultimately, I came to California to get away from the South on one hand, but looking for a brighter day. And... When I got here, I found out that uh, Malcolm's statement that any time you South an American border, you South, was the yeah. most real statement I think has ever been made by anybody in this country. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is cross the Canadian border and you South. And I ultimately became involved in the Black Panther Party. Back in those days, we called it the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And, and that's significant 
Because what we started out doing was observing people's interaction with the police because the police was killing so many people, we put eyes on them. We did not have cell phones. And they had killed so many people, we put eyes on them. Uh, but being armed in those days was legal, and uh, uh, we didn't want to just be shot down like everybody else. So uh, at times, in our obs- observation on them carrying out their jobs, we were armed. But ultimately, all we did was observe. Mm-hmm. And out of that, the police was so offended by citizens watching them performing their job and who would call their behavior into question. Citizens who didn't have the modern cell phones to record what the police were doing to people. But all we could do was observe and tell people their rights. The, The police state lost their minds and they began to target us for watching them doing their job. And they killed quite a few of us. The chapter I was in Los Angeles, we lost more people, I think, and I could be wrong, the historians couldn't check this, but I think we lost more people than any chapter in the country. Hmm. Um, Out of that process, uh, when people set out to kill you, you got a choice. You can either bow down and hope they don't, or engage in activities to minimize them just being able to shoot you down in the street. And if you want to understand that in some terms, it might make sense to you. It's this. You can kill me if you can, but you will not kill me if you please, became one of the mantras. So in that interaction with defense and self-defense, many of us went to prison. And it's not like we could defend ourselves legally. If you defended yourself, no matter what the other side was doing, the other side had the full weight of the law, which was keep those darkies in line. Can I can I ask you something? I'm so sorry to break yes. your uh, but I want to know. This is uh, this is a history lesson. It's really beautiful. I wanted to ask you: Do you feel like y'all had a like a? I know you had a sense of what was what's really going on with. Um, the United States of America, the United Snakes of America. Were you, do you feel like you were also viewing that through um, the exception clause to the 13th Amendment? Because you talked about citizens. I mean, you have viewed yourselves as citizens, but we know for sure that, you know, um, the state was not seeing you as citizens or that you, I mean, how how dare you act like a citizen, right? Did, do you, did at that time also, because uh, that it's, definitely coming up now we're hearing you know i think it's being more and more uh, put out into the front did you all were 
did you feel a sense of that or um, was that coming out? I don't, cause I don't remember that so much in the, the narrative around the 13th amendment exception clause. Well, I think one of the things that happens with people today when they look at this question of citizen and non-citizen, mm -hmm. they look at it through a lens of education that has taught people that they are citizens and that they got rights and that there's a constitution that's designed to protect these rights. Mm -hmm. uh, when we were younger, um, we had, I think, a little bit more sense than that. Um, I think that we understood things like what happens is the truth. And what somebody tells you, not necessarily so much. So this notion of being citizens. Mm -hmm. um, again, I, I, I hate to I hate to keep invoking uh, my comrade, but I love to hear his name spoken. But Malcolm, Malcolm. Uh, <laughs> had a position on that, yeah. and his position is if invited to dinner and, and and you show up to dinner and everybody's sitting there having dinner and that there's no plate for you. Uh, you're not a diner. You're just somebody in a place where diners are. So we understood fundamentally that these notions of these rights that everybody's taking for granted that they have mm -hmm. is not even real that you have the right to be exploited, you have the right to be shot down in in the street by people with impunity, and what you learned in the day is that they have the right to just kill you. And the reason you're learning it is because of the cell phones. It's because that you're actually seeing it. They was killing us when you didn't see it. They was killing us when we started observing them. They was killing us when we screamed and hollered, but we didn't go to the street and 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 just riot and 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 rebel uh, without thinking about why we were in the street. So no. Uh, we did not accept the lie that had been put across in this country about being citizens, about being Americans, any more than the native people accepted that they were a part of this yes. nation in any real way. Absolutely. Um, so no, no, that wasn't uh, a consideration and we would not um, give the uh, state the courtesy of being anything other than an occupying force in much the same way that they've occupied the rest of the world. Uh, and that's why we refer to them as an occupying force. Well, thank you so much for that. And, and yes, please, and never apologize for uh, bringing up Malcolm X. Please bring him up as much as possible. We, um, because, uh, again, this is what you're bringing. And I think um, in this moment especially, we need that. And um, know that a lot of my questions are going to be rhetorical. <laughs> so, um, okay. But I would love for you to, um, before I interrupted you, you were moving into that place of um, how uh, 
this the, the LA chapter of the Black Panthers uh, was being into, it, probably more were being killed at that time, um, or that's the the chapter that was experiencing the uh, the most murders by the state um, of uh, Black Panther members. I would love for you to continue on with that, and um, again, how that that uh, is reflected in what you're seeing today in terms of again the youth on the streets. So. There was a lot, a lot of Panthers killed in Los Angeles, and you know we was, we decided that we we just was gonna be killed, and we fought back, and in that process, we didn't do all, we didn't have all the, we wasn't the only one had some holes in us, and it didn't matter if you was fighting to save your life, you ended up in prison. Mm-hmm. So, one of the, or the longest held Black Panther Party era um, person is right here in California. He's been locked up over 50 years. So, name him, please. His name is Romaine Fitzgerald. We call him Chip. He's, he's chippered us. But Romain Fitzgerald is his name. He's been locked up since October 9th, 1969. And that's not a date and a time that I have to work at remembering because it's the exact day that my first child was born. Oh. Um, so... Oh. Okay. My child knows that as well, and Chip is up Chip to him, and he reminds me every time I called him, not about his birthday, but about Chip. So um, that's that's some personal stuff. Anyway, well, it's important. Uh, it's important though because okay. we are talking about lives. We are we're talking about life here, not just issues. So thank you for that. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> when I'm what 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 I'm saying to you is that where you have come to, young people, I'm talking to you guys, where you have come to, and I'm not preaching at you, not telling you what to do, but where you have come to is a place that we could only dream of because nobody stood up and said that killing these people are not right, except us. And we stood up and said the killing of people, wholesale killing of people just because you can is not right. And for that, we ended up in this antagonistic contradiction. And people are still locked up today. So unless you think it was just black people, Understand, Leonard Peltier, who's a native brother, has been locked up nearly 50 years for protecting the people on his reservation, uh, objecting to the FBI running through the reservation, brutalizing people, and charged with some 
behavior that uh, I, I don't know how they can determine. They didn't see him doing anything. They just chose him because he was the leader. And he's been locked up all this time. But the thread that's important, I think, to understand is today you were in the street looking for a better day. And yesterday we were in the street looking to stop people from killing people, uh, particularly killing people in our communities, in the poor communities, in the Latino communities, and the native communities. Uh, this, this killer is an equal opportunity killer. We, we don't necessarily hear about a lot of the other people who are killed. Um, some of my first memories of moving to California was the way they were treating Latinos, particularly people from Mexico. I, I I was from the South, and it was the most confusing thing I'd ever seen. I I had seen the way they treated people who looked like me because it, it was a clear uh, distinction in terms of pigmentation. Uh, but the way they treated Latino people, I mean, folks who look more like them, then they look like me, and yet they targeted Latino people because they were from a different culture. Maybe Latino people reminded them of Native Americans, and they was living the fantasies of their forefathers, and they wanted to exterminate some other people. Um, threw people off the land that historically is the land of their forefathers. And called them aliens. They 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 got Latino people down on the borders with children in cages. I, I, I say that children in cages is as egregious as killing people. Why do I say that? Because a lot of those children are dead, and who has been held accountable to that? Uh, nobody. Build a wall. So to you, young people, I notice that you are multi-ethnic, that it's just not black people in the street. Uh, you know, from the Wizard of Oz, this is not Kansas anymore, uh, <laughs> to the powers of be, I'd like to let you know that this is not Watts anymore. Something different has happened, and you've lied long enough that you woke up a generation of young people who have become humans. And I so much appreciate your humanity. Uh, I'm, I have no value judgments on your tactics and your behaviors. But I really, really wish you would understand that the way they have done uh, our comrades, they will do to you. And in the experience of Nazism, they say that if you don't stand up when they come for one group, 
and for you. Um, you can be the next political prisoners. And I would ask only this, and that's that you call that a part of your um, position out there in those streets is that the political prisoners be freed, that that in order for this this nation to to right or wrong, these people need to be set free. Because these police that killed people back in that that period have lived to be old men. Many have died, got had full lives, while uh, the political prisoners are still inside. Now, there's one last thing. There were political prisoners on the street, but the brutality on the street uh, and killing people, I don't know how you get any more brutal than killing people. However, in the prison system itself, in this thing that California leads the world in of locking people up, they kill people in that spot. And if there were people in there who were like you, they stood up. They didn't necessarily riot or rebel, and sometimes they did rebel um, and riot. They did all that stuff, and they objected. They went to court. They filed petitions, uh, were not heard and still were being murdered. And the people inside fought back against that craziness on the part of those police. Because those guards, they're just the police. They are, they're union, it's called uh, uh, Correctional Peace Officers Association. Mm-hmm. So they see themselves as police. Right. And they behave like police. Uh, slave well, catchers. they right. Like, there we go. The slave catchers, exactly. Right. And then, uh, I mean, maybe you're going in this direction, but California, of course, you know, uh, the 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 our caged uh, community members inside wage that um, hunger strike um, to um, end indefinite solitary confinement. I mean, they subjected people to the torture of decades of solitary confinement. Absolutely. That's the brutality. So out of that, there's another class of political prisoners. Mm-hmm. And that class of political prisoners who, 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 who are people who came to prison under social sentencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I don't have any value judgment about whether somebody uh, was guilty or not guilty, but I do know that this state overcharges people all the time. And so some people might have did something and been in jail for something entirely different. And that I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure of. So I I never heard, I was in those prisons, by the way. I was locked up as a a result of uh, some very serious contradictions with the the state. Um, But those people, there are people in there in there who have been there since Chip's been there. There's some people in there that's been there longer than Chip. Chip's been there 51 years. Rochelle McGee has been there, I think, 55, 56 years at this point. Um, There are 
other people that I'm, I'm a little concerned about calling out their names, right. but people uh, will tell you who their names are. The, the Release the Cage Voices will give you those names. But there are people that's been in there for 50 years who have spent, in many cases, 30 years in solitary confinement. Wrap your head around that. If you think sheltering in place mm. um, is something that has moved people's perception of what freedom is, uh, go to the bathroom and stay in there for 30 years and come back and tell me about it. No, tell somebody else 30 years from now I won't be here. But I hope you get the point. And these people are still suffering in that. Recently, one of those folks got out after nearly 50 years, and fortunately, he's back amongst us. But it's not just him. And trust me when I say it's not just black folks. It is not a black and white um, issue. This issue spans the rainbow. That is an equal opportunity torture going on by those police. Uh, not to be, uh, you know, not to be uh, separating uh, the police out. They are all trained for one thing, and that is to uh, get that check and do whatever the people who make the decisions uh, say do. And I promised you I wouldn't try to give you advice, and I'm, this is not advice. This is a plea from an old man to young folks. Please, no matter what else you do, engage with one another. Engage in the political process and vote. And for those of you who think it doesn't matter, uh, I'm not going to argue with you because I'm not arguing for voting, but I am arguing for the people who get voted in the office have control of the purse string and that there are people out in our communities who don't have enough health care, who don't have enough food. There's all kinds of insecurities out there. And that if we vote and some of you young people start running for office, then you can vote to spend money to keep people alive until the work of changing the society is complete. You've got a good start going. My hat is off to you, and I say to you all power to the people because, indeed, you are the living mantra of all power to the people. The power is yours. This is your time. This is your society. And the hell with a bunch of old people like me. So thanks a lot. Listen oh. to me if you did. If you didn't, hey, uh, my 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 heart is with you either way. Uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, absolutely. I can't run, so, you know, no. <laughs> don't, 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 don't put me in a running situation. If you are going to run, somebody please bring me a wheelchair. I don't, I don't need one right now, but... <laughs> 
Just help me run. You don't have to protect me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll do. We'll do. All right. We love you, my brother. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for just sharing your wisdom and giving your time. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm.
I'm going to have, have a long time to, to be down. It won't be sitting, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got plenty of that stress, that downtime thing coming. Okay, But I appreciate the sentiment. Yes, I get that. Yeah, I'm not going to push on that. Okay, and also I will see you tomorrow because we are going to be together at the action at Avenal, which is being put on by um, uh, Families United uh, uh, to um, uh, and LWAP. And LWAP, end is the word end that I was getting. (laughs) Yeah, along with along with uh, the uh, uh, we're having a senior moment. Uh, Labor Action Committee? No. no. The, uh, um, in your office there, uh, uh, women... Uh, oh, uh, California Coalition for Women. Yes, yes. I'm yes. sorry. My, my mind goes out. That's sometimes, so sometimes it comes back. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, okay, so I don't have an excuse. So, you know, so this is why we're here talking today. Because, right? People were like, oh, who was that guy you were talking to? I was like, what? <laughs> so, yes, but my mind uh, loses its way as well. So, yes, thank you. So, Fuel uh, Families United to End Life Without Parole. That is a death sentence given to human beings. Um, in our prison system, and CCWP, which is California Coalition for Women's Prisoners, women prisoners, and, and they yes, do great work. Absolutely, absolutely fantastic work. So please join us because we will be um, supporting that action, um, uh, talking about LWAP, the toxic prisons uh, conditions, and the, and the toxic, the abusive way people are being treated inside, and highlighting also civil death of. Um, you know, decades of incarceration and multiple times of being uh, denied parole. So indeterminate sentencing. So thank you again, and I know we will speak again. Um, All right. Good day. Okay. All power to the young folks. Thank you, everyone. That's our show for this week. Thank you for sharing space with me. Please visit us at www.prisons.org and... um, yeah, just interact with the uh, website there, and you can always reach me at newbayatprisons.org. Get ready now for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.
Thank you. All right. Thank you.